Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We're doing this new sermon series uh, that's going to take us through Lent called The Last Days of Jesus Through the Eyes of John. We just finished working through the letters that John wrote in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and so we're going to be in the Gospel of John looking at uh, the last couple of weeks of Jesus' life. And as I was reading John 11 the past couple of weeks, I kept thinking about this event that is coming later on this spring. You're probably all familiar by now that we're going to have like a, a big eclipse here in Cleveland, like uh, later on this spring. It's, uh, I think it's in April. And uh, apparently we are like the place to be if you want to see the perfect eclipse, right? Like the path of totality is coming right through Cleveland. And so they think there's going to be lots of people who are going to be here to see this perfect eclipse. Eclipse. It's on a, a Monday this spring. And uh, Doug said, uh, I'm a superintendent, but I still think of myself as a teacher, um, even though I don't teach anybody anything anymore. And, uh, and I see this, and I go, this is an awesome day of school, right? Like, Because you can teach about the science behind the eclipse, and you can teach about the math that allows us to predict these things. And there's great historical accounts from thousands of years ago of people freaking out during eclipses because they don't know uh, what's going on. And so I see this as being like this awesome day of education. Like, as teachers, we're always trying to figure out, like, how do we make what we do relevant, well, this is like supremely relevant, right? Because you can teach about it and then go see it. And so I've been quite surprised, and I don't know, maybe some of you have kids and you've noticed this, but schools all across the area are canceling school on Eclipse Day. And uh, I can promise you that my schools will not be closed during Eclipse Day because <laughs> we value education, unlike everybody else. And uh, so I, I've been super pumped about Eclipse Day until last Monday. So I want to go back, it's like 12 days ago or so, two teachers come to my office. And this had not happened yet, but they come to my office and they go, hey, Chris, we really think that we got to take Eclipse Day off school. And I go, why? This is a great day of education, right? Like, and I'm, I'm all pumped about this. And they're like, well, did you see Lorraine County put out a message? I don't know if anybody lives in Lorraine County or saw this, but Lorraine County warned the residents to stock up on three days of food and water during the eclipse because they're so worried about people traveling into the area that like we might starve or something <laughs> like like stocking up for like the apocalypse because the it's going to be dark for 30 minutes right and so I go like yeah I'm not too concerned about that we're going to have school and they're like well what about traffic jams because the it's going to be like towards the end of a school day and I go well I mean I'm just not people know how to drive in the dark I'm not too concerned about this right and so finally, the, this one teacher, she looks at me and she goes, yeah, but Eclipse Day is the first day back from spring break, and so if you cancel school, we'll have a longer spring break. And uh, I go, oh, this is what this is about. This, this teacher does not know me very well. This is like the worst argument you could possibly make to me, right? And uh, I go, hey, I think you should probably leave before I stop liking you. <laughs> like, because... You know what, I want to teach during the eclipse, and I want teachers who want to teach during these things, right? Like, you would think teachers would want to be there, but self-interest is really, really powerful, right? And self-interest can get in the way of what exactly we're called to do, and that's what I think we see in John 11. And John 11 is a famous story that many of you have probably heard before, but it is the story of Jesus bringing Lazarus back from the dead. This guy, Lazarus, was a friend of Jesus, and he was dead for a few days, and in John 11, Jesus brings him back from the dead. And I want to fast forward all the way to the end of the story, because the end of the story is 
fascinating. This is what uh, the Apostle John records in John eleven forty five. It says, "Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw came many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done." So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and said, What are we going to do since this man does many signs? If we let him continue in this way, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and remove both our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. And this is the event that starts Jesus' entire Passion Week and Jesus' crucifixion. He brings a guy back from the dead, and the response is, cool, let's kill him. Like, this on its face doesn't seem to make much sense. These are the religious leaders. These are the people who know the scriptures, right? They know everything that the Bible says, and they are the ones that you would assume would be the most excited about the Messiah coming. You would assume that they would be the most excited excited about a guy who can do miracles and bring people back from the dead, they should be excited. But instead, over the next, you know, six weeks or so after this, they plot to have Jesus killed. And so eventually, you know, they they accuse him of calling himself the king of the Jews. And then he's crucified for being king. And on its face, I got to tell you, I just don't think it makes much sense. If I knew somebody who could literally make food out of nothing, who could heal everybody and bring people back from the dead... I don't think I'd leave his side, right? Like, that sounds like the kind of guy I want to be around. And if you're the religious leaders who know everything that the Old Testament said about the Messiah, you would assume that they would be the most excited people about Jesus. But the reality is that uh, the kingship of Jesus was a threat to the rulers of Israel. Because if Jesus is king, then they are going to lose authority. And that's what you see them talking about. People are going to start following Jesus and stop listening to us. And that's why we have to kill him. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the chief priests, they see Jesus as a threat because he is king. And all throughout the Gospels, you know, the Pharisees are sort of painted as the bad guys, right? Like they're the ones who are questioning Jesus. They're the ones who are pushing back. They're plotting against him. And maybe it's just me, but I actually, I I read the Gospels and I have a little bit of sympathy for these guys. Uh, Like these people knew the Bible. They tried so hard to follow what the Bible said and They sort of got lost in following the rules that they stopped forgetting why they wanted to follow the rules. But I I think I'm really sympathetic to to where they're coming from because the kingship of Jesus is a threat to us. And and this is something I think we've got to wrestle with because if Jesus is king, then it means that when he tells us not to do something, we can't do it. But my guess is many of us really want to do the things that Jesus says not to do, right? There's something inside of us that wants to do it. And there's going to be times where Jesus says, you got to do something, and we're going to be like, no, because we want to be king, right? We want to be in charge. And I think there's a little bit of that pharisaical spirit that's inside of each one of us, because the kingship of Jesus is a threat. Let me give you a, I mean, it's, it's my life, so it's kind of silly, but uh, an example of this, there's... You'll see this photo up on the screen here. And I want you to focus on the the guy in the middle. He's standing there with his wife, tall guy with glasses, and his name is Oliver. And Oliver works for the Navigators up at Wayne State University in Detroit. And so he does campus ministry up there. And Oliver and I have been in the same Bible study group for about five years now. We read the the same Bible Bible passages every day, and we discuss them online every single day. 
And Oliver is a friend of a friend, and I had never met him until about 18 months ago. And he was passing through Cleveland, so I said, hey, let's get lunch. I'd love to meet you. I've been reading the Bible and talking with this guy for years, and I never met him. And so uh, we had lunch. It was great. I found out about his family. We talked about his ministry. We talked about all kinds of stuff for about two hours. And so I I get in the car uh, after lunch, just so pumped about this great conversation with this brother in Christ. And so clearly, I hear this voice that goes, you need to give money to support Oliver's ministry. Like, I hear this voice. I know that, that that's what God is telling me that I should do because the navigators are only able to work because people support their, their ministry. And I instantly go, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, uh, I hear this voice saying, you've got to support him, and I, I instantly just blow it off. And so, uh, but I can't get rid of it. Like, all night long, I'm hearing this, like, you've got to give, and I'm, like, feeling it in my heart, like, I've got to do this. And I instantly start rationalizing. I don't know if any of you have ever been like this. I go, like, you know, we give to some places. Like, we give some money away. Like, uh, we support a lot of things, and I totally blow it off. And so the next day is a Saturday, and most Saturdays I get up and I go for a long run. And the whole time I'm running, all I hear is, like, give to Oliver, give to Oliver, give to Oliver. And I'm like, no, I'm good. And so I keep ignoring this, right? And so Sunday comes, and every Sunday when it's nice outside, so probably not today, my wife Sarah and I, we go for a long walk and we talk. And uh, we're on this walk, and my wife goes, hey, guess what? I just found out on Friday, which is the day I met with Oliver, just found out that I'm getting a raise at work. And I hear this voice so loud going, I'm giving you more money. <laughs> like, uh, I'm like, I got you. You know, but, uh, but isn't this so, sort of what following Jesus is like? Sometimes we know what the king is telling us to do, but it infringes on what we want to do. And uh, so I think we're a little bit like the Pharisees. And so what I, I want to do today is I want to work through this story in John 11, uh, where Jesus brings Lazarus from the dead. And I want to talk about a couple of reasons why, instead of being threatened by the king, instead we can be people who embrace Jesus as our king. So I want to talk about three ideas, that Jesus is a king with answers, Jesus is a king who understands our pain, and Jesus is a king with such immense power that he can undo the wrongs of our world. And I think we'll see each one of these three in the story of Jesus bringing Lazarus back from the dead. So first off, this is John 11, verse 21, and Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for a couple of days, and he's got uh, two sisters, Mary and Martha, who are pretty famous figures uh, in the Gospels. They're all friends of Jesus. And Jesus goes to where the family is there, and they are mourning the passing of their brother. And this is a conversation that Jesus has with Lazarus' sister, Martha. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die ever. Do you believe this? Incredibly famous passage. It's where you know, Jesus claims power over death. He says he's the resurrection and the life. But I want to focus on Martha here for just a second. Because what Martha says here, I think, is something that rings so true to me and to many people I know who follow Jesus. Uh, look at this in orange here. She goes, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I don't know about you, but I read that, and doesn't that sound a little bit like an accusation? Like, Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. 
And how often, when we are struggling with stuff, people we know are struggling with pain, suffering, death, sickness, you know, money troubles, family troubles, how often do we start to think, God, if you had been here, God, if you really loved me, this wouldn't have happened in the first place? Uh, I think it was six or seven years ago now, one of my grandmothers died. This is hers, my dad's mom. And uh, she lived down in Dayton, and we went down to her funeral. And uh, I was there, and I was talking with my sister. I only have one sibling. I have a younger sister. And uh, I was sharing with her about how while we were at this funeral, there was a reason for joy, because my grandmother loved Jesus, was incredibly devoted to, to Christ. And I was sharing about that with my sister, and my sister is not a believer. And uh, she, she looks at me as I'm talking about my grandmother and that this can be joyful and it can be a celebration. And she says, how can you follow a God who allows this? This isn't that far removed from God if you were here, right? Like it's right in that same vein. And uh, I think that this is a natural thing that all of us deal with at some point in time, right? Like we are going through whatever it is that exists in our world. And we start to ask, where's God, right? Like, why weren't you there? Why aren't you taking care of this? And we could talk about pain and suffering for hours. We could do years worth of sermon series on this. And I cannot cover every piece of that in like 25 minutes today. But I, I want to give you an answer. It isn't an answer for every single situation, but Jesus has an interesting answer in John chapter 11 about pain and about suffering and about this specific instance that I think is true many times in our lives. This is the start of the story. And uh, so Lazarus is sick. He has not yet died. And uh, it says that when Jesus heard about it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And I, this is at once both an incredibly encouraging passage, but it's also, I think, an incredibly challenging passage. Because Jesus goes, I know that Lazarus is sick, and I'm going to let him go through that because it's going to be good that he went through that sickness. That can be challenging, right? That sometimes when we are going through pain and suffering, God goes, the other side is going to be all worth it. But that doesn't help a ton, I don't think, when we are going through it. But, but it's also an answer. That God says that sometimes when we are going through these moments, God goes, you need to trust me that the other side is going to make it all worthwhile. Uh, back in January, I got an email from the, this young woman that you see up on the screen there. Her name is Brittany Holloway. And uh, many years ago, when I was principal at Lutheran, she was one of my students. And uh, I don't know how old Brittany is today, but I guess she's 26 today. And uh, she emailed me because she's now working for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so she is at a number of public high schools in Northeast Ohio doing Bible studies and sharing the gospel at those high schools. And she said, hey, I'd love to tell you about what I'm up to. And so I agreed to, to, to meet with her, and I was fascinated by this because, obviously, I knew Brittany when she was in high school, and I would not have thought that this was a young woman who was going to end up in ministry. You know what I mean? Not that she was a bad kid. She was a good student. She was a high-character young woman, a great athlete, but I wouldn't have ever... She was not, didn't talk about faith. You know, like that wasn't like front and center for her. And so uh, we, we catch up for a little bit, and then I said, Brittany... How exactly did you go from where you were in high school to today you're doing this, this campus ministry stuff? And she's leading these Bible studies. It's super exciting. I said, when exactly did Jesus get a hold of your life? 
And she told me this long story, but the, the short version is that she said, you know, when I, was, when I was young, when she was a teenager, she goes, I had all of this pain, and I, I really hurt because my, I didn't have a dad. You know, like I, I knew him, but he wasn't a part of my life, and I was so angry about this, and it hurt so much. And she goes, and I looked in all kinds of places, you know, looking to fill that hole that existed in my life. She goes, and I went to college, and it was there that I really met Jesus for the first time. And she goes, and the more that I knew about Jesus, the more that that hole started to go away. But then I realized something, that that hole was the thing that pushed me to Jesus in the first place. And that in God the Father, I have the only dad that I ever needed. And I'm not certain I would have known that had I not gone through the pain and suffering that I went through. And I thought to myself, how often is that true? Where once we get to the other side, we can look back and be like, God might not have wanted that pain, but he found a way to use that pain to do something pretty amazing. You know, one of the things that's true in many instances is that uh, Jesus gives us an answer, but we just might not understand it yet. You know, you don't understand the answer when you're going through it. You understand the answer once you've gotten through it. And that God says that he can use even the ugliest things in our lives to do huge things. That Jesus is a king with answers. But he's not just a king with answers, because I think an answer in and of itself doesn't mean much unless that answer is personal. And one of the things I think we see in John 11 is that Jesus isn't just a king with answers, he's a king who's pretty personal. And so he keeps on talking to Mary and Martha, and uh, it says that Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her were crying, and he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And Jesus wept. And there's a, there's a lot of accounts of Jesus in the Gospels, but I'm not certain that there's one that's more uh, powerful about the human side of Jesus than this one. Because look at, look at these two things in orange here. These are amazing for our God and our King to do. It says, he was angry in his spirit and he wept. When Jesus was confronted with the pain and suffering of our world, he got angry about it. And he cried over it. And I don't know about you, but isn't it kind of comforting to know that the same emotions that we feel when we're going through this stuff, Jesus feels those exact same emotions? He isn't a God who cannot relate. He sees our pain, and he gets angry just the way that we get angry. And he cries just the same way that we cry. I, I'm, I know that I'm one of the, the few people left who still reads the newspaper every day, but I, I, I love reading the newspaper for many reasons, but one of them is that I love the comics. And uh, this is, I, I'm not that intellectual. I love the comics. And uh, I, I love this comic strip right here. It's from Pearls Before Swine. And you see this pig character. He gets into to bed and he begins to pray. He says, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my phone. It does not beep. I can't take more bad news today. Please make the world go away. And I don't know about you, but have you ever gotten into bed and you just wish that all the bad stuff would go away, right? Like, my guess is we have felt this, but our God has felt this. We don't just have a king who gives us an answer and says, it's going to be all right. We have a king who says, I know exactly how you feel, and he wants to hold our hand and walk us through it. We don't have a God who can sympathize. We have a king who can empathize. I, uh, I think that's just incredibly amazing. I mean, you look... Back in Isaiah, there's this prophecy that's repeated in the book of Matthew, and it says, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 
Like God isn't far away. God is with us. And he deeply understands the suffering that we are dealing with. This was a God who was so stressed out about death that he literally sweated blood. Like if you're dealing with anxiety, you can look at Jesus the day before his death and be like, Jesus understands that. And uh, when we are dealing with uh, the loss of our loved ones, he understands that because he walked through it. He understands sickness. He understands physical pain. We have a God who is with us. You know, uh, Jesus is a king who understands our pain. He gives us an answer to, uh, to it, but he also understands it and can walk hand in hand with us through whatever it is that is going on in our lives. But the story doesn't end there. You know, uh, this is the end of uh, this, this account of Lazarus coming back from the dead. And it says that they removed the stone and then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe that you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So this guy has been dead for three days, and they moved the stone away, and Jesus says three words, and he comes out out of the grave. And, you know, we know that there were a bunch of people there, right? Because so many people believed that it scared the religious leaders into wanting to kill Jesus. There were a ton of witnesses there. But can you imagine what the reaction must have been like when this guy walked out of the tomb? You know what I mean? Like, I have been in high school gyms, like when kids hit like a game-winning shot. You know what I mean? And people go nuts. What must it have been like when a guy came back from the dead and walked out of a tomb? Like, this is amazing. And uh, I, this is so, so interesting on so many levels, you know, because Jesus is a king with such immense power that he can undo the wrongs of our world. You know, uh, it's one thing to have pain and suffering, and Jesus goes, I can do something about that. I can work through it. And it's another thing for Jesus to say, I'm going to be there when you deal with it. But it's another thing completely if you're powerful enough to undo it. And that's the king that we worship. When you read through Revelations, it really makes it sound like it in eternity, all this pain and suffering that we've ever gone through, God is going to undo. It's not just going to be wiped away. It's going to be made right. And so all throughout Jesus' life, like we see these little glimpses of how powerful he is, right? He can bring sight to the blind and he can heal the lame. You know, he, he can calm the storms and the seas, but he can bring back the dead. Everything that's ever been wrong in our lives Everything that wasn't ever meant to be because of the sinful, broken world, we have a king who can undo all of it. And I think when you know that, and then you know that he's going to walk with you through it because he understands it, and when you know that he's got an answer, that gives us a reason to embrace Jesus as our king. We can be the type of people who are threatened by it and want to kill him, or we can see him and we can want to embrace it. And when we, we begin to embrace Jesus as a king, I think it changes everything about us, but I also think it starts to change the people around us. You know, uh, earlier this year, by year I mean school year, because that's the calendar I live off of, I, uh, I went to a, a funeral for this guy you see up on the screen. His name was Ralph. And uh, this funeral was at a, a Lutheran church in Rocky River, and the, the church was full for this funeral. And I know this is going to sound weird, but it was the best funeral I've ever been to. <laughs> it was awesome. And uh, I know how weird that sounds, trust me. And uh, so Ralph was, he was advanced in age, but he wasn't sick. He wasn't like expected to die or anything like that. 
But, uh, but Ralph was a guy who loved Jesus, and so one of the things that he did is he wrote his own funeral service a couple years ago so that when he passed, like the people in his life would know exactly what he wanted to do. And this funeral service was awesome. And so uh, what, what he did was, I, I took some photos of this. He wrote all of this like liturgy out, but he wanted it to not be called the funeral, but to be called the hymn fest. And so uh, they didn't say funeral, they said hymn fest for Ralph Kunze. And, uh, and then he wanted to read all of his favorite psalms. And so we, we spent this, uh, this, this hymn fest reading. We read Psalm 121 and then Psalm 108 and Psalm 33. You can see, like, it's just, there's like nine pages of this. You know what I mean? We're going to read all of this guy's favorite psalms. And then we also sang all of his favorite hymns. So we sang his seven most favorite hymns. And his daughter played the organ for this. And uh, what happened is, is you know, uh, funerals are often really... They're really sad, and they're mournful, and they're quiet. And we're in this church singing, you know, ancient hymns. And uh, as we are singing and as we're going through the Psalms, it got louder and louder and more joyful and joyful in this church. And uh, so things sort of uh, culminated with the only thing we read the whole day that wasn't one of the Psalms was this passage in John 11 that we just read about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. And uh, the, the funeral gets over, and uh, usually these things, you like, People shuffle out, and it's real quiet. You know what I mean? And maybe there's some hugs and some tears. And it was loud. And everybody's laughing, and they're talking, and they're having a good time. And people left joyful because of this service that we just had. But it was joyful because Ralph was a guy who knew that death was not the end because Jesus was the resurrection and the life. That Jesus was a king that he had embraced. And he wanted his last act to be one where everybody else in that church embraced the king as well. And that changes everything about how we live. And it's what uh, I believe we are called to do today. Please pray with me. God, I want to thank you so much that uh, when we are dealing with the pain and suffering that comes with this sinful, broken world, that you know exactly what it's like and that you want to walk with us through it. I want to thank you that you have answers to take all of that and to make it good and to use what's bad to do great things for you. And then, God, I want to thank you that, uh, that you are the ultimate king, that you have power over even death itself, God, and that you are calling us to live with you for eternity. I want to ask that we would be people who embrace you as our king today and always. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.